With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. Well, I thought that was a very pleasant uh, conversation I just had with the director of the Acton Institute. If you miss it, you can always check the archives. We've got uh, Jim Kerwin of Mountain States Legal Foundation joining us in a bit. Um, and something I'll be talking about with Terry Wolf next Tuesday, you can bet. I was listening to a recent interview with Alex Jones and um, Mickey Willis of Plandemic, and they were going full on theosophy i couldn't believe it and it was really at the same time they were saying um kind of we're, we're christian we're christian but but we're, we're promoting blavatsky style new age frequency consciousness stuff and so terry and i will be breaking that down it's really incredible how all this stuff is accelerating um with the with the new age uh stuff so there there was uh that and what else we got going on in in Croatia? But I'm sure this is a trend we're seeing everywhere in Japan. They were just talking about this, and one Croatian expert I follow was discussing how the data was uh, recently released, and that the it's a demographic catastrophe um, in in Croatia. And it's funny he points out it it started in 2022. So it's interesting again the timing with the lockdowns and the injections then you're seeing a, a collapse in fertility births so is this like the tv show utopia with john cusack it's, it's it, it literally seems like that is what's happening where that in that tv show uh they predict where uh the staging of a pandemic in order to get everyone injected so they would be sterilized through the injections because the population needs to be uh, forced to decline and that's what we're seeing now uh and the culture as well what's happening with the culture which is encouraging people not to get married uh to get married very late if you do don't have children uh, because children emit too many co too much co2 um and some economic news in oklahoma a congressman says that the u.s is running on borrowed time uh breachin josh breachin says we're running on borrowed time financially before we hit a collapse whether it's going to be an economic collapse, hyperinflation, people not willing to lend to our treasury anymore, all these are all going to be great concerns. And Texas, if that wasn't bad enough, deadly uh, Texas wildfire torches 1 million acres, the largest blaze in state history. So we're contending with so many forces. Um, and I had already mentioned with our past guest that now in Mexico, you know, it's multi, you know, if you're a politician in Mexico, you're either being whacked by the narcos uh, or um, you're getting into trouble for misgendering, correctly gendering other Mexican politicians who think that they are of another gender. There was a great meme I came across uh, yesterday I really like it. It says, if a man wants to pretend he's a woman, that is up to him. But if he wants us to pretend he's a woman, that's up to us. You know, that's up to me. If I, I don't think you're a woman. So, you know, you, you can, you can, whatever you want to do, that, that's you. But you're not going to force me to call, to say, you know, the sky is purple or 
whatever. And so, yeah, this this uh, virus is spreading to Mexico uh, here where I am. Um, some geopolitical news. Uh, new report today from Gray Zone. Kit Clarenberg, who's doing great work. His work is so great that they have lately banned him from Twitter again. Um, and every time he flies into the UK, the UK counterterrorism um, police interrogate him for half a day. Uh, then you, you know someone like that is doing good work. And uh, a classified diplomatic cable obtained by the Gray Zone reveals the role of a veteran CIA officer in violently overthrowing Haiti's popular president, Jean Bertrand Aristide, in 2004. So if they did that in 2004, you know, we had the recent assassination of Haiti's president. It was it last year, a year or two ago? It's probably them. Um, again, and I, I've talked about this with Eve Engler. I, I need to get him back on again to talk about some of this stuff. Um, and Russia, transcript, transcript released of purported German discussion on attacking Crimean Bridge. It says uh, there was the, the full text of what is claimed to be a discussion by senior German military officers uh, was published by Margarita Simonian of, uh, of RT. Um, and she said that Russian security officials leaked that recording. So uh, spying, we have Russia now spying on Westerners, Western officials. And it says that these German official, uh, officers went on to discuss how close the German military should be working on the proposed operation so as not to cross the red line of being involved directly, um, secretly training Ukrainians to use German weapons, helping them plan the operation. It's funny, they say, concerns about the press learning about such cooperation were also raised, the transcript reveals. Too late uh, for that now. Navalny's funeral uh, drew thousands and has ended peacefully without incident. I think I did read that his family or wife did not attend. I'm not certain on that, but that is something that I read today. And Macron is doubling down on his remarks about NATO sending troops to Ukraine. Effectively, he says World War III is not off the table. Uh, he says, these are sufficiently serious issues. Every one of the words that I say on this issue is weighed, thought through, and measured. So he's doubling down. And then you've got another, a French um, prime minister has come out and said, World War III is possible. The possibility of the Ukraine conflict escalating into World War III cannot be ruled out, says French Prime Minister Manuel Valls uh, yesterday. So most definitely uh and more is going on but we'll get to that over the weekend if you missed your favorite tnt show or interview simply listen or watch it when you want wherever you want visit episodes on the tnt radio website or you can go to rumble.com bitshoot.com or brighton.com we're also on all the major podcast platforms apple google spotify amazon podbean and more there's no reason to miss out on anything on today's news talk tnt it's the stuff. It's that division people are talking about. And that cluelessness that they want to push. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. A troubling new peer-reviewed study, the largest of its kind, has revealed that ultra-processed food is linked to no less than 32 harmful health conditions and can significantly increase the risk of cancer, diabetes, and an early grave. Here with the story joining me once again, TNT News producer Adam Clark, codename Ruckus. Thanks, Rory. Side effects may include a long list of terrible things, and we're not talking about from your medication. We're talking about 
the stuff you shove in your pie hole, uh, the crap that you buy at the store, stuff that I am unfortunately very guilty of doing. We're talking about ultra processed foods. Uh, so I'm quite alarmed by this study, uh, as should, well, the vast majority of the American public, uh, from what I've witnessed every time I go to the grocery store. The study, a systematic meta-analysis, it was published Wednesday in the British Medical Association's journal, BMJ. It found evidence pointing to, quote, direct associations between greater exposure to ultra-processed foods and higher risks of all-cause mortality, cardiovascular disease disease-related mortality, common mental disorder outcomes, overweight and obesity, and type 2 diabetes, end quote. The fallout of ultra-processed food exposure may be far-reaching, granted the global shift in recent years from unprocessed and minimally processed foods to UPFs. According to the study, the present, quote, share of dietary energy derived from UPFs ranges from 42 and 58 percent in Australia and the United States, end quote. Yikes. The study involving experts from various top institutions, including John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and Sorbonne University in France, relies on the definition of ultra-processed foods advanced in the NOVA food classification system. According to the NOVA system, processed foods usually consist of a primary plant or animal substance to which one or more culinary ingredient, such as oil, butter, sugar, or salt, has been added. An ultra-processed food, alternatively, is not a modified primary material, but rather an industrial composite of often chemically manipulated substances that have been extracted from foods derived from food constituents and or cooked up in a laboratory. UPFs appear in virtually every aisle in the grocery store. They include packaged snacks, soft drinks, instant noodles, packaged baked goods, sweetened cereals, frozen frozen fish sticks, breakfast bars, ready-made meals, oven-ready pizzas. You get the idea. Researchers examined the findings of 14 meta-analysis studies published over the past three years with 45 distinct pooled analyses. Science. In 87 of the pooled analyses, estimates of UPF exposure were obtained on the basis of food frequency questionnaires, 24-hour dietary recalls, and participants' dietary history. The results, the researchers found UPF exposure was consistently consistently associated with 32 adverse health outcomes, including all-cause mortality, cancer-related deaths, cardiovascular disease-related deaths, heart disease-related deaths, breast cancer, central nervous system tumors, chronic lymphocytic leukemia, colorectal cancer, pancreatic cancer, prostate cancer, adverse sleep-related outcomes, anxiety, common mental disorder outcomes, depression, asthma, wheezing, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, obesity, hypertension, and type 2 diabetes. I could go on, but I don't think I have it in me, Hervori. What do you think about this story? It would make me think about what I had to eat today. Uh, I think just a banana, probably a peach, uh, four double espressos, and um, salad. How's that for a not processed diet? All, you know, natural foods that I think I had a big fat steak earlier in the week, which is also, you know, not really 
processed that's what you want to be eating not this stuff and you know last year i was in the in the in the u.s and you know, a, a family uh, extended family member his son teenage son was diagnosed with diabetes and i'm just thinking it's gotta be this stuff there's like no way that it's not because of what we're eating and other environmental toxins you know i had on the program i'm forgetting his name peter peter something who deals with diabetes and i think a lot a lot of this stuff can be treated just by diet pretty much uh and and if you can go to rural areas uh get away from maybe there's a certain toxin that's messing you up but um yeah and, and some of the things that you outlined you know the packaged snacks so i don't even soft drinks you shouldn't even be i don't i don't drink any soft drinks just water coffee tea you know natural liquids instant noodles yeah no thank you cereals we talked about that yesterday animal feed right uh, frozen foods which are mo most of the time now you look they're all gmo bioengineered they're by bi it's bioengineered stuff and so people really need to change um their way of life and that goes with the story i was mentioning earlier today as well ruckus that's um one billion people now on the planet are deemed uh obese this uh, epidemic of obesity is skyrocketing you know what do you think how how can we turn this stuff around well i mean it's going to be very difficult because you know people are kind of dependent on the grocery stores and when they go there you know it's like this it's like this natural it's like a, a jedi mind trick you go to the grocery store the food store so you presume that the items that you're shopping for are food when in reality it's not you know what i mean it looks like food Sometimes it tastes like food, not all the time, uh, but it's really not food. I mean, we're, we're really tricking ourselves here. So I don't know, it's, it's such a huge deal. People really need to get away from this, This um, I don't know, it's a huge problem, Harori, societally speaking. There, I mean, how do you convince people, well, we all need to go back to like a gregarian uh, farming lifestyle, uh, quit the nine to five job, stop the convenience of hopping in the car and going to the Walmart supermarket department and loading up on the, the, the bagel, pastry things that you throw in the microwave, whatever they're called. I don't want to get in trouble. Um, you know, instead, hey, why don't you have some goats? Why don't you have some rabbits and chickens? And, you know, <laughs> yeah, they're not going to do it. Good luck. Oh, man, lamb. Croatia, we're, we're um, always roasting the lamb. And um, yeah, you know, and often the cheaper food, the, the, the more toxic ultra processed food is cheaper. Uh, and the healthier stuff again overall there are tricks where i think you know someone did a recent video i saw where they went to like a big a fast food junk food you know burger joint and they it cost like 16 bucks or something for the meal and he showed he went to the local market and specifically bought some of the vegetables the meat you know good bread and it came out to the same or or cheaper and you'd get more quantity of it so again if you shop smartly you can avoid this stuff but you know th that's the problem that overall the processed food is cheaper which is why the lower uh socioeconomic um the people on the lower level they tend to buy that stuff and that's why they, they, they're not as healthy so well all this talk of food i i hope you're getting hungry ruckus any any final thought for us what's for dinner uh, I imagine that if the United States decides to actually do something about this problem, it's going to be the same thing they did with the tobacco. And we're just going to see labels on our food that says, warning, this product has been known to uh, cause cancer and we'll still eat it. <laughs>
Amos Miller, they're they're going to ban the, the healthy food, and so all that we can eat is soil and green. That's basically what they're doing. Robert Barnes talked about that in a clip today. All right, have a great weekend. We'll have a great uh, show next week. We've got uh, Jim Kerwin joining us of the Mountain States Legal Foundation. We'll be right back. TNT's Misty Winston. We've really seen uh, the the attacks on press freedom have always existed. Powerful people do not like their secrets exposed. Um, that's a no brainer, right? And so th there's always been attacks on press freedom. However, there has been a significant and marked increase. I think really um, it started kicking off really under Bush, but certainly under Obama. That it really went into hyperdrive. T uh, Trump took that and just absolutely ran with it. Um, I mean, he's the guy that had Assange arrested. Um, that really sets an unbelievable precedent just in general. And so now we're starting to see it spiral out of control. Misty Winston on today's News Talk TNT. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are opportunity zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. Internet. Internet. A stream online. TNT Radio. Live. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. All right. I, I always love talking about freedom. We had last hour the director of the Acton uh, Institute, and uh, I'm always looking for a good guest to talk about freedom and tyranny. And joining us is James Kerwin, who's senior uh, counsel for the Mountain States Legal Foundation, and um, they're a nonprofit law firm dedicated to restoring those rights enshrined in the constitution and they do it at zero legal cost to their clients uh jim has a long background uh in in in, in law and I, I would suppose fighting tyranny thank you for joining us well thank you very much for having me on i'm very excited to talk to you and your audience yeah and you, you know you guys um are doing good work if you want to tell us uh you know anything you want to tell us about um the work that you do in Mountain States Legal Foundation? Sure. So the Mountain States Legal Foundation is about a four-decade-old institution uh, that was created in the late 70s, um, originally with a focus on property rights, as, you know, there are lots of different um, nonprofit civil rights organizations that were focusing on other things at the time, and very few people were worried about uh, government encroachments on the, your right to use your property as you see fit. Um, so we started with... A, cases in that area, and we still have a very robust property rights uh, and um, resources practice. But over time, we've branched out into other areas, including equal protection, and my specialty is in First Amendment free speech practice. Um, we have, uh, you know, these days, unfortunately, 
a very busy practice because uh, there are lots of ways in which government actors are seeking to either censor individuals and their ability to express themselves or um, alternatively require people to say things that they don't necessarily believe. Um, we have we have a number of cases. They we take cases in many different areas, but they tend these days to cluster uh, most significantly in the area of education, so public schools, both at the K through 12 level and at the university level, are doing a lot of things, mostly in the name of of you know creating a what they would refer to as a welcoming and equitable environment for everybody, which nobody would disagree with that as sort of a a general goal, but the way that they seek to go about it often um, tramples on the free speech rights of individuals who may dissent from the, the orthodoxy. Um, so that's one big area. We also have cases with government um, employees who uh, have spoken up about such things as rampant, um, you know, what we would see as frankly racist DEI practices and affirmative action practices and raised questions. I have one case. It's pretty egregious. I have a, a government employee who uh, simply asked the question of whether her government employer's race-based employment practices were legal, which they probably aren't, by the way. But just for asking that question, uh, her employer accused her of causing harm, demoted her, subjected her to all kinds of investigations and things like that. So this is just to give you a flavor of the sorts of things uh, that I do day to day. Uh, and it's, you know, these are tough fights, but we're fighting a good fight. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's something that I often worry about that I discuss uh, on the show. Um, and I saw I was looking at uh, your website, Mount States Legal Foundation. The website is mslegal.org. And I saw some of those issues that you deal with. And I, I, I just love joking with, with my I got three passports. So, you know, I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm also a naturalized Mexican. So I'm a white U.S. citizen. But if I ever get into trouble with the stuff that you're talking about, DEI and, and all that, I'm be like, no, wait, I, I'm a minority. I'm Mexican. Sorry, that's my get out of jail free card. They can't do anything right. Uh, but since you brought up the free speech stuff, uh, I'm, I'm curious, maybe to start with, um, you know, back in 2021, I was uh, banned um, off of Patreon. Um, and then in 22, the Department of Homeland Security banned me from PayPal. Uh, and it's it's this is political persecution, but PayPal will say I'm a risk. They don't say I'm a political risk. It just says risk when I log in. But, you know, they can't say it's political because then they would reveal the game, right? That this is, is not a democracy. This is political persecution. And you guys often are dealing with the nexus between big tech uh, and the government. Um, what are your thoughts when it, in, in, you know, in the Western world when it comes to how the government and big tech are working together to, to take away our free speech? Uh, yeah, I mean, that can be a real problem, um, you know, uh, but what you just said, if I understood you correctly, it, 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 it's two different situations. You know, maybe I'm wrong about that, but but the, it, it highlights some of the nuances in this area. You know, it, it's, it's one thing if PayPal decides on its own. Um, PayPal, you know, it's a, it's a payment system. Um, so, you know, it, but it's a it's a private business same as like your local florist if they decide they don't like you for whatever reason uh, absent certain kinds of um, public accommodations laws that say they can't discriminate on the basis of race for example 
um, you know, they're generally, as a private company, they're free to associate with different viewpoints as they see fit. But it's a very different thing if the Department of Homeland Security is telling PayPal uh, that PayPal needs to essentially retaliate against you or take action against you because of things that you've said. Uh, then we're talking about government action, um, which kind of leads into, you know, this, this the Supreme Court hearing from this Monday um, about this um the intersection of government conduct and big tech conduct and that sort of stuff, which I, I know we're going to get into in a minute. But the, this, as a, at a very high level, this is this is where a lot of these questions are going to come down to: is this distinction between a private company doing something that a private company decides to do versus a government either coercing the private company into, uh, you know, reducing the reach of your speech. Or kind of conversely, in the in the cases that were before the Supreme Court on Monday, um, some states um, trying to seek, in one sense, to protect uh, the rights of expression of the users of social media companies. Uh, and there are very interesting questions as to, you know, whether whether that conflicts with the social media companies' free speech rights themselves. Uh, I'm sure we can get all into all of that as we as we talk. Yeah, it's it's time for our headlines, so uh, we'll get into that uh, on the other side. Today's News Talk Radio. I like hearing the news. news. A lot of news. TNT Radio News. Top of the hour, every hour. TNT. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. Hunter Biden, in his congressional testimony on February 28th, asserted that his qualifications, not his family name, were the reason for his board membership at Burisma and other companies. Conservative Party leader Pierre Parliev has accused Canada's government of exposing national security after it was revealed that a leading scientist at the National Microbiology Laboratory in Winnipeg collaborated with a Chinese military expert in bioweapons and bioterrorism. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda. It never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. We're talking to Jim Kerwin of Mountain State's Legal Foundation, mslegal.org. They do take donations, which they can use to protect us from the government. By the way, uh, maybe we can get into this later if we have time. I just read today in out in Florida, um, article says, Today is a good day to DEI. In huge win for DeSantis, University of Florida fires all diversity, equity, and inclusion um, staff. But if you want to tell us about... Um, you know, this uh, SCOTUS case um, when it comes to social media companies and, uh, you know, whether you're, you're hopeful that we can retain our, uh, you know, First Amendment. Sure. Uh, so it's a fairly complicated setup. So, uh, you know, bear with me for a moment to just kind of set this all up for people. Um, there, there are actually a couple of different cases be before the Supreme Court um, one set of two cases was argued this fall, this Monday, um, and that involved efforts by two different states, the states of Texas and Florida, uh, that passed state-level laws that were aimed at social media companies 
and it was intended to sort of level the playing field. So in general, the laws at a very high level said, um, Facebook, if you're doing business in Florida or if you're doing business in Texas and you decide to um, that you're going to have a policy against, quote unquote, misinformation and you're going to take down posts for that reason uh, at a very high level, you'll have to do that with an even hand. You can't decide that only conservative views are misinformation or that sort of thing. Um, and also both of these laws uh, required uh, the social media companies, if somebody's posts were taken down, to explain the reason behind them. Because often um, what happens in these cases is, is the decision by these companies, if you can call it that, because it's often made by a computer, you know, they, they, they stress that this happens billions of times a year. So there, there definitely are not people doing these every single time. Uh, but there, it's very opaque. The person who's had their um, speech removed from the platform doesn't know why. <laughs> and so, so a lot of this has to go uh, to disclosure of reasons behind these, um, these decisions, if you can call them that again. Um, so uh, there are these two state laws that attempt to level the playing field with the social media companies. And just to be clear about what uh, these cases are not about, uh, they're not about a case where the government is coercing or making Facebook or Twitter or YouTube take down content that the government doesn't like. There's a separate case that addresses that that's actually going to be argued at the Supreme Court in a couple of weeks on the four, on the 18th. Um, that's a different case. Um, so the case that was just recently argued isn't that. This is a, this is a case where a state is attempting to regulate the social media company's voluntary decisions to remove um, certain kinds of speech from their platforms. So just to make, that's, it's an important distinction uh, because the, the, the legal issues get fairly complicated. Um, it may, I think a lot of people have a misconception, frankly, that um, if Facebook decides to take down their post from Facebook or Twitter does, that that's a suppression of their constitutional rights to free speech. Um, that's actually not the case. The constitution uh, only limits the government's ability to silence you or to compel your speech. It doesn't limit the ability of a private company. And after all, Facebook and Twitter uh, are private companies. Um, leave aside the sort of scenario where the government is coercing Facebook or Twitter to make certain decisions, that would be a matter for the First Amendment, um, but it's not if if Facebook and Twitter are doing those doing these decisions um, on their own accord, then it wouldn't implicate the First Amendment rights of the people who are posting there. So, uh, so but that's why the states of Texas and Florida felt that they had to get involved, you know, because uh, the Constitution isn't going to protect an individual poster's right to put something on Facebook. Uh, but Texas and Florida thought, you know, they should put their thumb on the scale and, and require Facebook to and then Twitter to, to be even handed in the way that they dealt with these content moderation policies. So that's just, yeah. a, a, you know, I just want to make sure that it's a fairly complicated setup. Does that make sense up to this point? Yeah, and I'm just going to add on that on that thought, um, you know, and uh, there there is history that's interesting for me to think about. You know, I I personally believe that uh, Facebook was actually a Pentagon program. There was something called DARPA LifeLog, and Wired magazine reported how on February third, two thousand and four, DARPA LifeLog was retired, and then the next day Facebook is 
like incorporated and then you've you know we this is all open source info how uh was it the cia or nsa seed funded google um and and stuff like this and so you know some of americans taxpayer money went into building these platforms and now as you and you made the correct distinction if they're private now um you know what what about some of that history but also maybe your thought on even if it is legal let's say in the case of facebook or big tech to take you down the government didn't tell them anything they've almost become like the public square you know what are your thoughts um even if it's legal the, the danger uh, of that right well so uh i hadn't heard anything about the the sort of history of these platforms but just leaving that aside for a second um yes i, I think as a matter of policy just leaving aside my my role as a lawyer just for a second I do think uh, it would be a better world if these companies that hold themselves out to be, you know, they say, we're taking all comers, please come to us, we're going to be your free speech platform, we want you to be able to connect with each other. What they're really interested in, frankly, is advertising money. So really what they're interested in is your engagement, they're going to feed you whatever is going to, uh, whatever comes to the top of your feed is what their algorithms tells you, tell them is going to make you stay on their platform longer because the longer you're engaged, the more money they can charge advertisers. That's their business model. But but leave that aside. I, I do think for sure as a matter of policy, um, it's it's sort of the height of arrogance for these companies to say, we know what the truth is and we know what misinformation is. And we should and, and we're going to sit here in judgment and decide which posts are misinformation and which posts are true. And 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 we see that one of the reasons why that's such a bad idea and why it's illegal if the government does it is for one thing, they get it wrong all the time. There were, you know, um, one of the, the, the sets of facts that formed the background for why Texas and Florida acted the way they did had to do with COVID. And early on in the COVID pandemic, some of these social media companies were saying anybody who says uh, that there's a possibility that COVID was engineered in a Chinese lab well, that's misinformation. We're going to take that offline. You know, it certainly seems, based on the public information that I've seen, that uh, it's, that very well could be true. Um, and the fact that some bureaucrats at these social media companies decided that they knew that it wasn't true and it was harmful to have that information out in the public, just that's just the height of arrogance, if you ask me. That's not a legal issue, you know, again, given who the players are, it's just a, what I think would be a better way to run society. <laughs> Um, so, uh, another thing is like, frankly, it doesn't feel like they really think that much of their users. If they think, you know, maybe some information is going to squeak through and end up in somebody's feed that isn't true, or it's arguably, you know, framed in a difficult, people should be, your users are adults. They should be trusted to like, you know, decide for themselves whether they take these things seriously. Um, that's sort of the model of democracy. We're all supposed to be uh, equal participants in this grand experiment. <laughs> and, you know, when somebody decides in a very parental way, I'm not going to let this information get to you because I think you won't be able to understand what's true and what's false. That just really rubs me the wrong way. So that was kind of a yeah, long-winded answer. That's not the, you know, America that I think we grew up in. It's, you know, you put the information out and citizens decide. Uh, and, and, you know, just what you mentioned as well, when you mentioned COVID, um, I think what also happened to me with Patreon would fall into the camp again of the government telling big tech what to do, because when Patreon told me, I interviewed a doctor, 
you know, and another guy. And it said, if uh, if I don't remove from the entire internet those podcast interviews, they'll terminate my account because I went against the guidelines of the CDC or, or WHO. And so, um, yeah, what else is um, important for you when it comes to the social media? This um, case when it comes to social media. Uh, and, and, you know, w what's the worst that can happen down the line? Because, you know, it seems like we're on the road to some sort of dystopian or, or Orwellian world, no? Oh, well, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I don't like the way certain trends are going. I, I, I tend to be an optimist, though. I think that I, I do think there is some pushback finally starting uh, and that hopefully people will be uh, returned to sanity um, in not, the not too distant future. But kind of turning back to the case that was before the Supreme Court on Monday, um, you know, there it is a uh, it's a very close question as a legal matter. I, I will just say that right right up front, whether, uh, you know, these Texas and Florida laws are going to be allowed to stand. You know, one one just indication of that is that there are two separate laws. You know, one was in Texas and one was in Florida. They have a lot in common. There's some slight differences. But they were both challenged by a group of social media companies and one federal court of appeals upheld the law and another federal court of appeals uh, enjoined the law thinking that uh, on, on the ground that it was there was substantial likelihood that it would be found unconstitutional. So just the very fact that, you know, there's courts splitting in this way shows you how close a legal question this is, um, which is often why the Supreme Court has become involved at what is actually a fairly early stage of the lawsuit. Usually they wouldn't get involved this early, but they are in this case. Um, so just to lay out for your audience, like what the, the First Amendment claim is that the social media companies are making, um, it, it goes like this. Um, they would say, leave aside the free speech interests of the people who are posting on the platform. I, as Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, I, I have my corporation has its own First Amendment rights, and that that's true. Cor corporations do have constitutional rights, um, and what's happening here is that free speech includes more than just saying words or issuing statements. It includes um, something uh, along the lines of curating the work of other people. So, for example, uh, let's say I create a collage of you know um advertisements something like Andy Warhol might have done um you know you take you take somebody else's work and you put it together in a way that the overall uh pastiche that you've put together or the collage has its own meaning and that you are expressing yourself through expressive conduct all right that's what the the social media companies say um and they say there's some very interesting cases that are sort of analogous and what this case really comes down to is just how analogous they are. So um, one of the cases that the social media companies cite is a case where some parade organizers in Boston, um, uh, I believe it was the St. Patrick's Day parade organizers, had decided that they were uh, they didn't want to have uh, a group of people who were going to be carrying signs in favor of a point of view that the parade organizers didn't like. Um, and that had to do with um, with sexual orientation and things like that, non-traditional views, all right? And the organizers of the parade had fairly traditional views, and so they didn't want to have uh, those messages as part of the parade. And they, they challenged uh, a ruling by the state that, that it was discriminatory not to uh, have those people included in the parade. 
And the Supreme Court found that the parade organizers were sort of like a collage maker, right? They weren't saying anything with their mouths or in writing, but what they did was they took other people's speech and put it together in a certain order. You know, group number one is marching and they have a point of view. Group number two is marching and they have a point of view. All those things together add up to the a some sort of expression by the parade organizers. Uh, this is a long-winded way of saying, Facebook says kind of the same thing. They say, look, we're not the ones who are posting these things, but the idea that we put some posts high up in your feed, we sink some posts at the bottom, we exclude other posts entirely, all of that adds up to us being like a parade organizer in that while we're not saying anything individually, overall, globally speaking, we are expressing ourselves. And when Florida and Texas tell us we can't express ourselves the way we want to, that violates our First Amendment rights. So that's kind of what's at stake. Um, the, the states, of course, say that that's just not the right analogy um, because Facebook and YouTube and Twitter are not like the parade organizer. Uh, they would say something like Facebook and YouTube and Twitter are really more like a telephone company, right? So a telephone company uh, takes it's they take communication from you. You call me up on the phone. The telephone company has the wires that connect you to my phone and you and I are speaking. And in a more complicated way, uh, that that's maybe what's going on on Twitter, for example. Somebody is putting out a post. Other people, uh, by liking certain kinds of posts, have signaled to the algorithm that they want to hear what this guy has to say because the algorithm thinks that's the kind of thing he wants to hear. And so um, all that Facebook and Twitter are doing on that analogy is acting like a phone company. Now, a phone company uh, is you know, early on in the telegraph industry, by the way, which is you know, the precursor to the phone industry, telegraph companies said, um, we can stop certain people from communicating with each other. Like if we, and for the same reason that uh, it's our expression, we, we don't, we think we're like a parade organizer and that we're the, the grand parade of all telephone communications or telegraph communications. We're gonna pick and choose which pieces go forward and which pieces don't. So, so that's kind of what this comes down to is, is a battle of analogies. Um, the, the social media companies say we're like a parade organizer and the states say, no, you're more like a telephone company uh, who can't pick and choose which phone calls are allowed to go through. Uh, and so that, you know, it, it gets more complicated than that, but that's at a, at a high level sort of what's at stake. It, it mustn't, it's probably, it's not easy. I think at least from my view being a, a lawyer because as this stuff goes on it gets complicated it, it is time for our break again the website mslegal.org there's a lot of info there and uh you can also support the work that they're doing we'll be right back de-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective mark morano was certainly a national treasure at least he is in my opinion we're blessed to have him here on tnt anyway he runs climate depot and Climate Depot is a great place to go if you want to really take a look at some of the lunacy that's going on here. I warn you, it's probably going to get your blood pressure up. Okay, CNN came out with a blog, How EVs Became Such a Massive Disappointment. Now, one of my favorite movies is Casablanca. And I love the scene at the end where the police captain comes in and claims he's shocked that gambling is going on in this particular joint that was being run by Rick, right? 
aka Humphrey Bogart. Well, remember the words, I'm shocked, shocked that this is going on. Well, when I look at this CNN headline, how EVs became such a massive disappointment, I'm shocked, shocked that this is happening. Who wants to buy a car unless you're going to putter around your house and it's like a glorified golf cart. I should say your neighborhood rather than the house. Who wants to buy that? Its battery is so heavy that it immediately puts excess pressure on the front of the car and your braking system. That's the first thing. Second thing, where are all the parts coming from? How are we making all these batteries? Just how are you going to put up with having to take 40 minutes to charge your car? What happens if you happen to live where it's cold and believe it or not, despite global warming, much of the world is cold in their winter season. So I'm shocked, shocked that CNN has found out about all this. If you go to Climate Depot, you can read about it. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. See, Smokey thinks I'm funny. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. It's our final segment here with Jim Kerwin of Mountain States Legal Foundation, mslegal.org. Uh, support the work that they're doing. And I just got a message it's pretty incredible. So I, I had a guest on a few months back. Um, he is was um, an attorney in in uh, Florida. He got into trouble. He was running, um, I forget for which office for state attorney, and um, he made some comments about the opposing candidates, and they want to strip him of his license. And I just got a message today from someone that um, they're saying that my guest out in Florida, he's still in litigation and that the interview that he did with me <laughs> the court didn't like and that it's it's actually included in the transcript of the, of the case and so now uh the the florida supreme court's going to read uh pretty crazy what's going i you know i i don't know anymore what is happening by the way before we continue you, you got a lot of uh, you know i've got a, a turkish oud behind me and a kazakh people can't see a kazakh instrument there and a guitar you got a lot of instruments you, do you play music as a way to sort yeah. of decompress decompress from dealing with this stuff so i broke my arm recently so the answer is not right now but yeah i used to i, I do play yes <laughs> uh i think a lot of attorneys need some kind of outlet because of the craziness that we have to deal with every day yeah that, that um, um yeah, yeah interesting yeah well hopefully you can recover soon so you can uh, get back to playing the, the banjo guitar violin um yeah, I, I I did want to ask you something I saw uh, on your page at the website um that you mentioned earlier these these cases one of them I think that you you, you dealt with was mandating pronouns uh and com compelled speech and I used to teach at the top high school university here in Mexico called the Tech de Monterrey and I hung out with one of my former colleagues. He still works there. Uh, and he told me recently that, you know, when I was teaching there, I left, I left 2017. Great place to work, all that. But since the COVID times, he says, now you're having high school students that um, 
I will say my opinion that think that they are trans boys that think they're the girls and vice versa and they've asked him to call them by the other gender and you know from my view I'd be willing to give it lose lose my job I you know there's no way that I could be compelled we've seen the case with Jordan Peterson writing Canada um I there's no way you know I have my worldview as well religious and it's not including me if I'm forced to call a man a woman or vice versa and any thoughts on some of these cases that are going on um you know when it comes to this this wokeism and, and uh, compelled speech yeah I mean it, it's a it's unfortunately a hot area in first amendment law um we've weighed in on a, a on several of these cases recently um several that are up on appeal uh so we are you know we're we're compassionate people at Mountain States Legal Foundation and definitely you know I personally believe that we should do things to accommodate people and make them feel good but the idea that the government can require you to say something that you don't believe uh really gets at the most important really of all of our civil rights like you know the the, the guarantee of free speech um is the most in my view the most important of all of the civil guarantees of the constitution uh, because it is the process by which we work things out um, when, you know, we're stumbling through life and, and sort of feeling our way blindly into the future as we all do. You know, that's what democracies are all about. Um, so, yes, we've we've had a number of these cases. Um, you know, they can there there have been uh, cases at the K through 12 level where schools are requiring this uh, cases at the university level. Um, they all kind of present different things, you know, because the it is true that the, for younger kids who may have been convinced by others that they have um, an identity that doesn't match with the bodies that they were born with, you know, they're, they might it, it might be somewhat true that they're sort of more emotionally fragile. So the considerations can be slightly different. You know, somebody who's in college, it's like, come on now, you're an adult, uh, you know, <laughs> um, but in, in all of these cases, uh, we think many government agencies are, are just not giving sufficient consideration to the free speech rights of people who are being compelled uh, to to say things they don't believe. And and it shouldn't there should be no mistake about this. When you are required to use pronouns of a certain kind, some people might think like we've redefined what a pronoun refers to. It, do, it no longer refers to your sex. It refers to your gender. And under certain sort of fashionable theories, gender is just a set of kind of stereotypes, really, uh, or, or what you feel about yourself. But that's not traditionally what pronouns refer to. Pronouns refer to sex, which is a biological side. Uh, and, you know, if, if I take a pronoun to refer to the sex, which I think most people do, and I believe that sex is something that is uh, defined your, by your biology, and I believe this is a scientific fact, um, you know, a government that tells me I have to say something that contradicts that, um, I think is a very serious First Amendment problem. Yeah. Do you see overall um, that space looking good or are, are people winning or are, you know, are people, you know, being fired or, or, or you know, persecuted because of sure. this uh, compelled speech? So interestingly enough, there have been some, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> uh, there have been some victories, I think, going the right way. Uh, in particular, uh, there are some cases where college professors have won their lawsuits uh, where the universities 
we're um, requiring them as part of their DEI push to use whatever students' uh, preferred pronouns were when they've won a couple of those cases, right? Um, so those th that's good. That, that trend is going in the right direction. Um, at the K through 12 level, the, the cases have not quite worked their way up to the courts of appeals yet. They're mostly at the trial court level, so we'll see how it's going. Some of the trial courts have decided that um, you don't have a right to free speech insofar as uh, it relates to how you address uh, fellow students um, at, based on their gender identity or their preferred pronouns and stuff like that. So, so it's a bit of a mixed bag. There are some green shoots. Again, like I said, there's there have been some college professor level cases that have come out the right way, uh, in, in my view. Um, so, you know, we, we'll keep pushing this. These things are probably eventually going to get to the Supreme Court. Uh, because you've got some some very you know liberal or progressive courts of appeals that have these cases right now, and just given you, you never know for sure, but when their rulings come out, uh, they're probably going to conflict with some of the courts of appeals that have some more conservative traditional. And Supreme Court's going to have to work this out. It's interesting to see. Uh, to get a glance at that battlefield we're, we're three minutes to midnight you know there's uh so much more to discuss there's the lawfare with trump uh i was reading um yesterday i'm from illinois originally so illinois judge rules trump is disqualified from the state's ballot uh, you know i i wasn't really planning on voting so but you know when the government says i can't vote for trump that's kind of like now i want to vote for um trump and you know there's all this insanity going on uh, i think a blaze journalist today was arrested because he, the government didn't like the way they had reported, but it's getting crazy. So, you know, any, any final thoughts um, for us? We got about two two minutes left, two and a half. Well, I'd say that you know it's really important that despite all the social pressure to keep quiet, uh, the people really stand up for their First Amendment rights. Like that's the key, right? Like, uh, I, you know, in certain social circles, especially in 2020 during the year of the riots and and the year after that. You know, people knew that they were often having their First Amendment rights uh, impeded by the government, but they they didn't want to say anything about it. They didn't want to like go out and, and come to Mountain States Legal or some other public interest organization to fight for their rights. They just thought, it's, you know, this this is going to pass, and and we'll just go along to get along now. And I don't want to be ostracized from my social circle. Um, but it wasn't passing, and so people have started to bravely stand up and fight for their rights and you know there are organizations like mount state legal and many other organizations uh that are going to be there in your corner and just to know that like people there are not just legal firms there are there's a whole community of people who are uh who will be behind you and and even if they don't agree with your point of view they agree with your they believe that you have every right to express yourself and that's the most important piece yeah, I've, I've interviewed John Whitehead of the Rutherford Institute, who's doing great work, uh, as well as uh, now Mon Mountain States Legal Foundation. Um, a minute left. Where, where, what are the best ways people can support the work that you do? Um, any projects you want to mention or, or website? Uh, well, you've hit it on the a nail on the head. Um, that it's mslegal.org. They can go there to find out about all of our work. We do have. I'll just put a quick plug in. We have a lot of other types of cases. Uh, you might have heard a lot about this lawsuit against the uh, FAA about the air traffic controllers and how they got rid of people based on merit. Uh, and that's actually a case that is run, also run by the Mountain States Legal Foundation. So if you want to find out more, 
you can go to our website to find out about that and all the great First Amendment work. All right, mslegal.org. Uh, thank you, Jim Kerwin. Uh, I'm signing off. Steve Malsberg is up next. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. Be back on the other side.